This ticker podcast is brought to you by Broadridge Financial Solutions. None of the Beatles had mustaches. But then one day, all of them had mustaches. It's the Ticker Podcast. I'm Jeff Cassette. It's crazy how quick things can change. Our ongoing crisis of meaning has tipped dominoes all over the place. Today's subject domino is virtual shareholder meetings. And when it comes to virtual shareholder meetings, an idea whose widespread adoption always seemed to be just over the hill, virtually every company found itself making the switch overnight. It was really quite a year last year for virtual shareholder meetings. Kathy Conlon is an expert in the use of virtual shareholder meetings. You know, as the pandemic took hold a little bit, we started hearing from more clients who started asking questions about virtual meetings. She's in charge of the design and implementation of Broadridge Financial Solutions' virtual meeting platform, which means there's a fair chance she's responsible for your virtual meeting platform. We saw about 2,000 virtual meetings on our platform last year, so up for planning for 400 ended up with 2,000, and it you know obviously was um, a very interesting year. On this Ticker Podcast... Kathy Conlon's learnings from a very interesting year. But first, here's your IR News Update. Got your thoughts on what you'd like to see companies tell their investors about climate disclosure? Uh, Now's your chance. Acting SEC Chair Allison Heron-Lee has taken the latest in a series of swift steps to bring ESG issues onto the agency's agenda. This time, she's asking for feedback from companies and others on the subject of reporting. The call for public input follows other steps taken by Lee across different agency divisions since becoming acting chair earlier this year. BlackRock says it will push companies to step up their efforts on the environment. It wants companies to act on deforestation, biodiversity loss, and pollution of the oceans and freshwater resources. In recently published guidelines, The world's largest asset manager says it was prepared to vote against re-election of directors if companies had not effectively managed or disclosed risks related to the depletion of, quote, natural capital. BlackRock might also vote in favor of shareholder proposals that highlight natural capital risks. Inflation and the bond market are now seen as bigger risks to portfolios than the COVID-19 outbreak. That's according to the Bank of America March survey of fund managers. The survey shows, quote, high exposure to commodities, industrials, banks, discretionary and emerging markets relative to the past 10 years. That's a dramatic 180-degree turn from a year ago when investors were heavily invested in defensives like cash, healthcare, staples, and utilities. It looks like Wendy's will face a supply chain safety shareholder proposal. The SEC has rejected a request by the Wendy's company to exclude from its AGM a shareholder proposal seeking disclosure regarding worker protections in its food supply chain. 
And finally, if you've noticed more investors asking questions about human capital management, you're definitely not alone. A new poll takes a deep dive into this growing issue and what it means for IROs. Here to tell us more is Garnet Roach in the latest edition of Garnet's IR Research Rockpile. Hi Garnet, what have you got for us today? Hi Jeff, so what I've been looking at is the Human Capital Management Report that was recently published in IR Magazine. And in that research, we looked at both companies and investors. So the researchers surveyed uh, IROs and also the investment community to get their views and a picture of their interests when it comes to human capital management. IR teams say that they have seen an increase in investor interest in this over the past two years. In fact, more than three quarters say that they've been asked about these sorts of issues during that time. On the investor side, researchers asked the investment community to rate the importance of human capital management both within a company and its supply chain on a scale of 0 to 10. Within a company they're looking to invest in, more than 6 out of 10 investors say that these issues are important to them, so they rated this with a score of more than 5. But almost 40% say that human capital management is very important, rating it at more than 8 out of 10. Researchers also asked investors about their views on human capital management in the supply chain of a company that they're looking to invest in. And perhaps surprisingly, this is actually seen as being almost as important as human capital management within the company itself. Because human capital management covers such a wide range of issues, essentially all of a company's personnel decisions from succession planning to labour practices, researchers asked investors to give some more information on the areas that they're interested in and what they're focused on through open-ended questions. And the result is that there's a lot more variety when it comes to human capital management issues within a company. Though, as you would imagine, a lot of responses cover compensation and health and safety issues. When it comes to the supply chain, though, investors are really much more focused on one issue, and that's labour practices. What this shows us is that responsibility for labour practices as a human capital management issue have moved much further up the supply chain. So, you know, it's already expected that companies use safe garment factories, for example, or ensure that they're not inadvertently using child labour, for example. But this increased investor interest in human capital management in the supply chain also shows us that these issues could be seen as an investor responsibility too, much like what you see today around climate change. Subscribers get full access to the report at irmagazine.com. Just when everybody else was cutting back, Kathy Conlon was gearing up. The AGM, a cornerstone of corporate governance, had to go on. And go online. But almost every single issuer hosting a meeting on Broadridge's platform would be a virtual AGM newbie. Onboarding would be job one. In fact, at the height of the proxy season, Broadridge specialists were holding training seminars twice a day. I'll let Conlon explain. Last year, so up for planning for 400 ended up with 2,000, and it you know obviously was um, a very interesting year as we you know kind of scaled our business. We pulled people from uh, various parts of Broadridge to work uh, on the virtual meeting platform. So trained a lot of our internal staff. We hired some contract staff as well to help support these meetings, and we successfully 
were able to support companies uh, as they went through, um, you know, the sort of critical governance event successfully on our platforms. What were their questions? I mean, I guess I'm presuming maybe it's a trope, but I assumed that most companies that did uh, VSMs were kind of in the tech area. And now you might get, uh, you know, Joe's Industrials or something who'd never even considered that. Was there a specific sort of line of questioning that people were worried about? So what's interesting is that it's not, it wasn't technology companies that were users of VSM necessarily. It was Hmm. all companies. So we actually had done uh, studies looking at the industries that companies who held virtual meetings were in, and it was all over the map. It it really wasn't technology-based. We originally had that hypothesis, you know, years ago when we launched the platform, we had the hypothesis that it would be technology companies that embraced VSM first, but that isn't what we saw. We really did see just a wide range of companies um, supporting this technology I, that were interested in the technology and started using it, but not necessarily with any technology focus at all. Huh. And so the questions really were, well, I'd say one, there were kind of two sets of questions. What what happens to the company? Like, how does my company do this thing, right? What's the technology platform look like? How do I conduct a meeting? You know, how does my board get onto that meeting? How does a shareholder proponent get to the meeting and have their proposal? And then, so that's one set of questions. And then the other set of questions is, what do shareholders do? How do I tell shareholders about this experience and how do they attend the meeting? You know, my the normal course of events is I put in a, an address, a physical address, into the proxy materials and I set up the room and people show up. But in a virtual meeting, you're doing the same thing, but it's a virtual address. So you, we, we provide a URL to a company. They put that URL in their proxy materials and then they um, distribute the materials out in the normal way that they would distribute materials. Right. And then shareholders will see the, you know, that the meeting is virtual, go to that URL on the day of the meeting, and then they go in and they enter using the control number to get into the meeting. So a lot of the questions were about how does a shareholder do this, but also how does my company do this? And, um, and really that sort of walking them through the process of doing that. Now, the other thing that was happening last year was that um, just given the timing, some companies had already mailed their materials. So there was comp- there were companies who it was past the time of them doing, um, you know, sort of announcing they were using a virtual meeting. So for those companies, they had, you know, the ability to issue a press release uh, and do a filing with the SEC to change the location of the meeting. And obviously many of them did that. Those who had already mailed their materials took that path to announce to shareholders what the location of the meeting uh, was going to be. Okay. So you, sc- you scaled up very, very fast, brought on new people. But I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that less can go wrong <laughs> from a technical point of view uh, and, and a VSM than, than an actual in-person meeting. I presume not everyone had a perfectly flawless experience, but is, is, is there any truth to that? I mean, it, are, are virtual meetings essentially for uh, less of a headache for an IRO and people involved in org- organizing those? That's a really interesting question. So I think for the most part, that's the experience that companies had, that mm. yes, this is less of a headache, This and this not only is less of a headache, but it's actually better for my company and for my shareholders because more can attend, more can engage with the company, I can receive more questions, I can get 
more people to my meeting and I can get my executives to that same meeting all in a pretty seamless way. So I think did, did companies find that the experience was a positive one? Uh, absolutely. We heard that over and over again from the companies that we worked with that this was a positive experience from, you know, the numbers of attendees um, that were able to participate in the meeting, which was an uptick over the prior years that the company had held physical meetings, mm-hmm. but also just being able to bring in their directors and their management seamlessly onto a platform and have them engage with shareholders. It, it was it was a positive experience, and what we're seeing, you know, we're you know we're coming into the second year. We're still you know under you know, sort of the pandemic situation, so companies still have when they think about their annual meetings, you know, doing a virtual meeting is something that they, you know, is the prudent course of action to take this year, given where we are with the pandemic still. However, I think for those issuers, uh, the opportunity to have another virtual meeting, um, if you put the pandemic aside, is a positive thing because of, you know, the ability to have more people attend the meeting and having it be sort of a seamless experience for everybody. Okay, uh, we can get to some of those specifics, but I mean, the advantages basically are convenience and cost savings. And I know um, you've put forward the, the, the very good argument, especially given the current zeitgeist, that they address environmental concerns. You cite a figure where VSMs have a 99.9% less carbon footprint uh, on average than your average shareholder meeting, which I think is astounding and something you'd probably want to communicate to your investors as, as part of your, your whole outreach. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I think that is one of the, you know, that's certainly not one of the things that we've been focused on is the sort of the, you know, the carbon impact of virtual meetings. But as ESG has become a topic of such concern and interest for companies and their investors, it became natural for us to look at this technology and say, what is, is there a benefit, number one, and what is that benefit? And that's sort of why we went down the road to start that study about the, you know, the carbon impact of a virtual meeting. And it was pretty astounding. And, you know, as we stated in, um, you know, a recent article that we wrote is like maybe one single event isn't, you know, the thing that's going to sort of change, uh, change anything, but the collective of thousands of events where you actually are having this um, savings um, is is a real positive for virtual meetings, on top of which you get the benefit of the engagement that I talked about. And, you know, so there's just, there's just so many reasons, I think, to consider um, virtual shareholder meeting, not just as uh, a great alternative during, you know, the, this recent pandemic, mm-hmm. but actually, in fact, a real alternative that um, companies should be able to um, choose to use uh, in any given year, which will bring benefit to them and their shareholders. What was the feedback from shareholders on the whole experience? So generally, shareholders also positive. So we did a you know after the season last year. So after the we passed through June. So from January to June, we did just a little under 1,500 meetings during that time period because, as you know, there's a concentration of meetings then. So we then did a lot of interviewing of the various constituents that um, participated in virtual meetings, and that were companies, board members, you know, management of companies, board members, shareholders, 
shareholder proponents, so we really uh, inspectors of elections. So we try to sort of get a representative um, sample of people who participated in this experience, uh, and across the board. So whether it was shareholders or others, across the board, we got so many positives about this whole experience uh, from every perspective. I mean, for shareholders, it's clearly an opportunity to participate in something where they would not otherwise have been able to do it. So for many meetings, they are not in the same geographical location of that shareholder. So for that shareholder to be able to attend a meeting or sometimes more than one meeting in any given day, uh, that was a real positive for them. And shareholder, just speaking of shareholder proponents, so Mm -hmm. at roughly 200 of the meetings we did from January to June, there were shareholder proposals at those meetings in which a shareholder proponent participated in the meeting. And for the most part, they participated uh, live at the meeting via phone line onto that meeting, and they were able to, you know, read in their proposal. And we had some proponents who attended multiple meetings in a day and were able to read in their proposals live during the meeting. So really, for them, again, another positive where they could participate directly in the meetings where they had proposals and for the company, they were able to um, sort of offer that experience um, for that their shareholders and their proponents um, to participate in the meeting in a really easy way. So I, I think from a shareholder perspective, um, there's not very many downsides um, to virtual meetings for the vast majority. Now, of course, there's always every company should make the decision in any given year that what's right for the company and for their shareholders. And could things change for that company for that year or are there certain companies that it makes sense for them to have an in-person meeting? Of course, that will always be. But we, you know, we really believe that the company should be able to choose virtual meeting for their company um, as a real alternative to an in-person physical meeting, which in and itself is a pretty limiting experience for many. What then, Kathy, there have got to be some lessons learned. Uh, there have to have been some glitches last year. What have we learned from last year? What's going to change next year? I know that you've designed a new platform, a, a new technology for next year. Um, what's in that, and, and how does that respond to, to, to any of the possible complaints about last year from issuers or, or, or uh, uh, investors? Sure. So uh, there certainly were, there was some lessons learned, uh, number one of which is that the technology does work. So I think that was the good news lesson in all of this is that we had to scale up pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. but we were able to do that and companies were able to have successful meetings. But that being said, there's always ways to improve the experience. And we kind of bucketed it into a couple of buckets in terms of what we learned that it was important as we go forward. And I think from the perspective of the company, you know, creating an ex- an experience that eased the execution, like how do you make this process easy? You know, this is a once-a-year event for a company. They're bringing, you know, their management and board together. How do you make that experience really seamless and easy for them? So, you know, creating um, the ability to have all the controls of the meeting in a really uh, intuitive experience. So we had a really good platform that we helped companies manage their meeting on, but we, we, we've we now made that experience even better for them. Uh, enhancing the Q&A. So the Q&A is probably the number one thing that people talk about with regard to virtual meetings. So how do you make that Q&A experience as good as it can be for both the company and uh, the shareholders? So 
associating names and email addresses with the questions that are coming in so they cannot be uh, submitted anonymously. To be able to respond directly to uh, a shareholder if they don't get to the question at the meeting. You know, for, you know, com- not every company um, has, you know, some companies respond to every question, but some if for time purposes or whatever, they can't respond um, to every question at the meeting, but they want to be able to respond directly. So creating a tool um, that captures the email address and more simplifi- more easily simplifies the ability for the company to respond to that um, shareholder. To be able to sort by, you know, sort of the questions, type of questions, who's submitting the question, so that if a shareholder submits multiple questions, they can see that. And on the shareholder side, for them to be able to, when they submit a question, for example, to be able to see their prior questions that they've submitted and to make that experience good for them. So because Q&A is such an important component of a virtual meeting um, that when you think about, you know, like how do you make this experience uh, something where we can continue it going forward, I think you have to address the Q&A. And we've spent a lot of time this year uh, with the focus on the Q&A. And I think the other issue you hear a lot in virtual meetings is this, you know, looking, you know, the ability for shareholders to look management and board in the eye. And last year, you know, we saw a lot of audio meetings. You know, that's what is sort of the easiest path forward was for companies was to do an, um, an audio-only, virtual-only meeting. I don't want to break your flow, but just uh, of those 2,000 meetings, how did it break down audio, video? Uh, it was 99% oh. audio okay. last year. Okay. And that was also up from, you know, we had in the prior years, I think we were at roughly um, a little under 90% of the meetings were audio versus video. So there was like, you know, a little similar to hybrid virtual only. You had similar statistics like that. But this year, you know, 2020, you saw a big switch over to just, you know, kind of path of least resistance, audio only, virtual only meetings, uh, and not a lot of video. And I think in part was because video, you know, is not as, this, this, the experience of video was not as common as it is now, but, you know, going into COVID, people were not really used to video and you'd have these, you know, for companies that were doing video meetings, it was a pretty big production. They would have cameras and lighting and equipment, and which of course requires people to be near each other, which was a no-go last year. So I think that kind of pushed video to the side. But now as we look forward, you know, what is the experience to create a great video experience where you can bring um, your your presenters on, be able to look them in the eye to create that interactive experience where you see the boxes of your presenters on the screen where you don't necessarily need to have a production around that. You just need them to turn on their webcam and they can be seen and then, you know, when they're addressing questions or when the shareholder submits their questions, they can actually see the person answering those questions. That's going to be a really big part of, I think, what brings comfort to many in the industry around virtual meetings is that you see a lot more uh, video interactions taking place uh, going forward as we've all gotten used to m- many more, <laughs> you know, video meetings this year. So I think that's what we're going to see. And we've, we, we will have that as part of our platform uh, going forward this year. I think, I think that's going to be, as you say, it's ubiquitous now. I think that's going to be best practices probably next year uh, or this year. And, and if you don't do that, you, you might even be seen as being a bit suspicious. I, I, you know, <laughs> uh, the technology isn't rocket science, really, frankly. It's, it's in, on everyone's laptop. Um, why not do that, is what I think. 
Right. And I think as everyone's gotten more comfortable with it, it will be, yeah, I, I think you're right that people will say, why wouldn't you do it since it's pretty easy to do as the, you know, this has this whole situation in the last year has proven that we're all pretty capable of quickly switching over from anything in person to um, virtual events that are uh, with the video integration every day. We're all experiencing that. Conlon is Vice President and Head of Corporate Issuer Product and Strategy with Broadridge's Investor Communications Solutions. Thanks for listening, and have a great AGM. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette.